0: Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding, as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Name an iconic song,
1: and I can tell you everything else that was occurring in my life at the time it was popular. For example, Meatloaf's Paradise by the Dashboard Light had me in the front seat of Stephen Bimini's bronze pinto. Hot and sweaty, in white shorts, a yes T-shirt, yellow flip-flops, legs covered in mosquito bites, sneaking cigarettes and arguing about the effectiveness of Jimmy Carter's cabinet. Led Zeppelin's cashmere had me at Eric Matthews' pool party, his poodle drunk on bad beer, running in mad circles around the backyard, while I tried to convince myself that the I am beginning to answer my then boyfriend provided to the pointed question, do you love me, was an acceptable one. Cut to Fleetwood Mac's landslide, and I am back in the John Glenn High School cafeteria for my junior prom, clad in a pale yellow Laura Ashley-esque prom dress, looking up at a ceiling covered in tinfoil in order to match both the prom theme and Stevie Nicks' lyrics, Mirror in the Sky. President Nixon's resignation came the summer of Orleans' dance with me as I fell in love with a boy of 18 wearing an orange and white striped tube top, gauzy white culottes, and an armful of graduated plastic orange bracelets. My parents got divorced when the Beatles' Let It Be topped the charts, and my favorite outfit was a pair of white, knee-high plastic boots and a paisley, flowery dress. The summer after I graduated college featured the album Synchronicity by the Police, Bowie's Let's Dance, and my new Tower Records t-shirt with the sleeves cut off. In short, music has been a predominant marker in my life, The mere mention of a tune or hearing the first chords of a song creates a crescendo of images and sensory perceptions unlike any other stimulus. These moments of sensory overload are frozen in time. I have but a scant memory of what might have come before or after, and I find that I can't recall any other outfits or meals or parties with the same zeal, without the benefit of my mental musical accompaniment. Time slows and then stops as this visceral sculpture pushes forth, replete with touch and smell and yearning and youth. The music is as much a part of the memory as the memory is of identity. What is it about music that provides this shortcut to the minutiae of both our collective and individual histories? Dr. Oliver Sacks who has spent his career exploring the workings of mind and brain, is intrigued with the indelible impression that music makes on our synapses. One patient's bout with encephalitis wiped his memory clean, but left his ability to play and conduct music completely intact. Just minutes after a performance, however, he had no recollection of the music at all. Another patient, left, with language after, left without language after a brain injury, was still able to sing. Unimpaired. According to Washington Post writer Shankar Vindadam, Robert Titori and the Gill Scientist once hypothesized that because music is abstract, it must activate parts of the brain that process abstract ideas. But when Titori asked people to listen to their favorite pieces of music as he ran brain scans on them, he found that music activated very ancient parts of the brain. What is fundamentally interesting about this is that there seems to be a duality to the relationship between music and memory. According to William Cromie, music activates the temporal lobes of the brain. The temporal lobes are involved in processing music and memory. Certain types of music may activate the temporal lobes and help people learn, process, and remember information. As a result... Music opens new pathways into the mind and abstract reasoning, and conceptualization is enhanced by musical activities. Music also creates a connection between the two hemispheres of the brain. But the brain only remembers that information, which is hooked to emotions. Music essentially increases our attention to sounds, timing, and perception, and enhances memory by attaching emotional context and activating multiple Memory pathways. And because cognitive development, physical development, and emotions are all intertwined, all brain systems are affected by music. What is most interesting to me is because of this inherent multifaceted dependency, having music as a part of an experience actually helps us remember it better. Recently I was at a karaoke bar and watched as my friends belted out the greatest hits of the 80s in grand tradition. There was a rousing version of Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, Duran Duran's Rio, and a bar-wide participation of Culture Club's Do You Want to Hurt Me? After hours of urging me to join the festivities, I finally agreed with certain conditions. I would sing something that wasn't from the 80s and a tune that I loved with all my heart. As I poured through the voluminous catalog, I stopped with assurance when I saw that they had the Beatles song, Let It Be. This was a song I could do. This was a song that would certainly prevent me from looking like an idiot. I sauntered up to the stage, hubris in hand. As I dramatically fiddled with the microphone, I realized I forgot my glasses and couldn't read the karaoke monitor from far away. But I brushed aside my worries when I remembered that this song was so embedded in my personal history, I could likely sing it backwards. But after the first stanza, I realized I was wrong. While I could remember exactly what I was wearing, thinking, dreaming, and drinking the moment Let It Be first hit the airwaves, I realized I had absolutely no idea what the actual words of the song were. What was the line after, And in my hour of darkness, she is standing there in front of me? Was it, There will be an answer, let it be? Or whisper words of wisdom, let it be? I had absolutely, positively no idea. My friends laughed as I fumbled, and I realized they thought I was just a reluctant performer. But I knew better. While the song helped form my memories, the memories obliterated the actual content of the song. As my friends roared with hysteria, I sheepishly smiled as I proceeded to make up my own words to the song. And then I realized that unlike the lyrics, I would never ever be able to forget this moment... And if I tried, I knew that my friends would have enormous joy in reminding me every chance they had. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Jacob Trollback. Before we get started with today's interview, please let me tell you a bit more about him. Jacob is a self-taught designer from Sweden and is the president and creative director of Trollback & Company. Once a professional DJ, Jacob formed the company to transfer his musical ideas to the visual world. And the award-winning company, now in its seventh year, creates film titles, commercials, publication design, environmental design, music videos, and short films for clients including CBS, HBO, TNT, the Sundance Channel, Fox Searchlight, Miramax, Nike, Volvo, and Jaguar. Trollback & Company is currently included in the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum Triennial Welcome, Jacob. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm
2: I'm great. Um I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm stuck in Boston, but I, don't I know,
1: I up. know. We actually have a transcontinental show today. You're in Boston and I'm in St. Louis. So, um, let's talk a little bit about some of your history first. One question that I often like to ask my guests and one that I'm particularly curious about for you is what is your first memory of being creative?
2: Um, that's a good question.
1: Oh, thank you. I love when my guests say that. Are <laughs> <Well, laughs> so insecure about that? You know,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm just stalling for time. Um, that's what people usually do when they when they say that. I think uh, I it's I think that it's probably uh, you know creativity is is uh, is such uh, an important driving force in in humankind Um and, and creativity is. Uh, of course, can can have very many, very many ways to to uh, manifest itself. For me, I think it was probably, you know, um, building things. I was building, uh, I don't know, Lego kinds of things, and uh, and then it was more electronics. And I remember very well when I created my first. Uh, I built some kind of electronic contraption that could make notes, that could make musical notes, and. Uh, it's a very simple thing, and I remember I was just sliding a, a, a little metal thing back and forth, and, and it was just going up and down the, the, the pitch of the tone. And, and that was probably my first kind of feeling of, of really having created something unique.
1: How old were you at the time?
2: I don't know. Maybe 12?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. So now you originally started out as a DJ. Tell us about that. Why a DJ? Well, I mean, aside from obviously loving music, but what made yeah. you decide to become a teacher?
2: I mean, I, yeah, I always loved music and, and from, I remember my sister's reel-to-reel tape recorder where we recorded, uh, you know, the, the top hits, uh, that was playing and, and, and uh, then I guess I played different instruments and, uh, when this started to be sort of, uh, class parties, uh, in school, I, I probably had the most uh, music and I brought them and and I kind of liked to play them. And then, uh, you know, then uh, I think that there was several years where I didn't do it, but then uh, I started to work in a record store and uh, that's kind of when I got really, really into it. And uh, um, then uh, I was asked uh, by some people if I wanted to play at some parties and then I started to play clubs and, and that's kind of how it went. Now, are you still doing any
1: professional DJing?
2: No, I'm not actually, but I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of tempted.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because the first time I ever actually met you, I was, or the first time I ever saw you was I was in the audience at the um, Seattle chapter of the AITA's Design Camp and uh, was very excited about seeing your work. And when you got up on the stage, before you showed any work, you did a montage of some of the songs that you were listening to at the time, songs that really had touched you deeply. And it was actually, and I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this, but it was the first time that I ever had heard um, a song by Jeff Buckley that you'd played. I don't know if you remember that song, but uh, it's a song that profoundly impacted me. And as soon as I left the conference, I went and downloaded it and have listened to it ever since. Um, It's from off of the album Grace. Do you remember what song it was?
2: Uh, Well, it it, it was one, it was, I don't know, I I play, I I love that album. So uh, I would say that it was probably Lie Like Wine.
1: It was Lilac Wine and also Lover. You should have come over. Yeah. So those are the two songs that that, that I that you gave those gifts you gave me. <laughs> so um, do you often? Because you know, I've only seen you perform once or or uh, pr- uh, show your work once. Do you often play music when you show your presentations?
2: Yeah, I do. I I do it pretty often, and it's a great way to kind of. Uh, Talk about creativity and inspiration in general.
1: Well, we have to take our first commercial break, Jacob, but when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your history and how you ended up where you are right now. But in the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Melman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Melman, and my guest today is the brilliant designer and DJ, Jacob Trollback. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages.
3: So please don't go away. 401's Stock, Mortgage, Retirement, Wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business.
4: Welcome to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe, where creative professionals speak out about their work and what inspires them. Honest is a design studio that works in a variety of media. Carrie Murnian and John Ballott started the company so that they could collaborate on projects together. Carrie, John, tell us a little bit about how you work. I think a lot of ideas are
5: generated from our personal projects. You know, we got into film by doing little things on the side, you know, with our camera here. And we hope that freshness actually is imbued into the commercial projects, because that's what makes them different than everything else. So, You know, even if you're doing the most boring job, that you can, you know, put something creative into it. You know, you can you know, choose, like, a fun typeface or, you know, something as kind of small as that that gives you a little bit of pleasure. I think you can always add, like, a little bit of fun to any project, yeah. and that's kind of what we
4: try to do. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Carrie and John talk about how they were influenced by old-school design.
6: This is Wynton Marcellus for AIGA New York. Nicholas Troxler has spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City a benefit for the city of New Orleans, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA-3, and John Zorn's Acoustic Masada. We know y'all are going to enjoy it. And please go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details.
0: Mom! My tooth fell out! The coach
5: says I can play shortstop! I get to be a deciduous tree!
6: You live for the first in your child's
1: life, but how do you cope with the first that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and
6: the Ad Council
0: it has been said that to live is to choose but to choose well you must know who you are and what you stand for where you want to go and why you want to get there on reap what you sow with host performance management specialist and executive coach Alana Daly achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse reap through redefining your goals educate your mind your body your conscious and unconscious apply what you learn and plan and it shall be success over and over again and wealth result when you reap regularly reap what you sow with a lot of daily broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific 2 p.m. Eastern on the voice America business channel reap what you sow learn the rules of the game then play better than anyone
3: else keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice America business We're back
0: with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 319
1: Eastern Time, 219 Central Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, in St. Louis, and my guest today is designer Jacob Trollback, who is in Boston. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Jacob, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And Jacob, before the break, we were talking a little bit about your origins as a DJ, and I wanted to ask you, I know you were born in Sweden, um, what motivated you to move to New York?
2: Well, uh, I think it was, uh, I was 32 at that point and I, I actually felt that I hadn't, um, it w- I kind of felt that everything I did in Sweden had just happened and I, and, and I felt that I, that, that I hadn't really worked hard to kind of achieve some kind of a goal. And, uh, uh moving to New York seemed to be a, a challenge and get a job here and, so it was a lot of that, and then I was also thinking that, you know, okay, Sweden is a wonderful country, but um, what if I'm going to be 40 years old and sit around and thinking, I wonder what, what could have happened if I moved somewhere else? or I don't know. I, w- I think it was just curious.
1: And were you nervous or worried about it? Did you always have the sense that you could be successful? Were you afraid of what you might find when you got to New York?
2: I had been to a couple of design conferences, and, and I guess back then in in the early nineties, uh, there was a lot of type conferences, and uh, I met. But this was before
1: you were practicing designer, or?
2: No, this was when I had started to kind of fumble with it. Okay. And, and um, I met some very nice people in New York who. I showed some of my early things, and they were very encouraging, and I, and I, I think I thought that they were encouraging because uh, I was great, but I, I realized later on that that's kind of how Americans are, you know, <laughs> but, but it was good because everybody was saying, oh, you should come here and work here. You're going to be fine. So
1: Now, interesting that you said that you were fumbling um, because I understand that your career as a designer, from what I've read, was, was fairly accidental.
2: Is that true? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I didn't have any idea. I, I mean, I had a huge record collection. I had, you know, uh, about 10,000 vinyls. And, and, of course, the the covers of them, all the album art was something that I was really into. So I, I was obviously unfamiliar with, with the visual language. Um, but uh, it was really when I started to uh, work at a club. Actually, it was a gallery that had of club nights, and we started to do mailings, and uh, that's when I started to kind of uh, use letter sets and start to think about design and stuff, and then um, I think what happened after that was that someone that I know said that, well, if you need some extra money this summer, I have a friend who's, who has a company who's translating computer manuals
1: and
2: and he said you're good at English and you're good at technology and so this may be something that you know so I started to uh, for, for like three months or so I translated uh, Apple manuals from English to Swedish and that's kind of how I discovered it, the computer and then there was kind of no going back from there
1: but you're entirely self-taught, from from what I've read and researched about you.
2: Yeah, that's
1: true. Entirely.
2: Yeah.
1: That's amazing. So you taught yourself. I mean, you're somebody that's really multidisciplinary, of a wide range of capabilities. You do film titles, commercials, publication design, environmental design, music videos. You taught all of these disciplines to yourself.
2: Mm, yeah. But wow. I mean, it's, you work with just you know. Once you start to work in the field, you start to work with people who knows a lot, and and uh, I think that it's actually to me it's not that strange because uh, I mean I, I I always think about how people usually learn to play the guitar, and that's like they they listen to you know their favorite guitar songs, and then they figure out where to put the fingers, and and you know if you have a knack for it, you get good at it, and that's kind of what I did too. I I you know I bought books of of uh, designers that I that I liked and then I started to imitate them kind of and and figuring out how to do things and uh, you know then when I moved to New York I was uh, fortunate to get a job at our Greenberg Associates um, where I worked with a lot of people who really knew what they were doing and I
7: mm-hmm.
2: I, I guess I just picked it up
1: Now um I read that you said that there are no real shortcuts to knowledge, experience, or skill, but there can be some very enlightening moments. And I was wondering if you could share some of your enlightening moments as you taught yourself all of these various disciplines and, and essentially became fairly expert at them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like when I'm talking to younger people and designers, I I wish that there was something that I could say that you know could just lift them magically to the place where they will be in five or ten years. But but obviously you have to go through all the the trials and you have to kind of understand why something works. And I think that that it's been those things. I, I'm I remember uh, I was. I was going to do some kind of a, a layout for a brochure uh, when I was in Sweden uh, and I was really really into John Chick called the uh, fantastic uh, typographer and, and book designer, etc. And uh, I was trying to imitate something that he had done and I, and I you know, literally measured where the type was. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, Tracing paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And And then I looked at mine and it didn't look, as good. And I, and I didn't really understand why. And then I, then I figured out that it, it's actually because my words were different and the length of the lines. So then I, re, then I started to move them and realize that, oh, it's, it's all about balance and proportions. And, and, you know, there are those moments where you just realize that, that you can imitate something, uh, to kind of learn something about, about you know what you're doing, but ultimately when you're doing your own thing you have to kind of adjust it and, and really make it your own.
1: Now when you're doing your your work, how do you know when something you've created is good?
2: Um, yeah. I think you it just kind of makes you happy. It makes I mean, you happy? I I mean for me it's very it's it's the situation, the, the position I'm in now, is that at the company, there's so many fantastic people who are, are doing, you know, amazing work. And and uh, for me, it's actually easier now. I, I feel like since I don't do much hands-on design anymore, I've kind of have gotten back to become sort of a DJ and a curator of, of mm-hmm. moods and and proportions and, and different kinds of expressions so I have the you know the, the fortune of having a lot of people just trying a lot of things and then I can walk around and, and uh, you know together with my creative partner and uh, just look at things and see when, when things kind of feels right
1: now in terms of your office you have two offices
2: well uh, no we actually closed the LA office.
1: So you have the one office, and how many people do you have in New York?
2: I think we're about 20.
1: And that's in seven years. Your office is seven years old?
2: Yeah, almost eight now.
1: Yeah, that's extraordinary. Um, I understand as well that you originally formed Trollback & Company to transfer your musical ideas to the visual world, and I was wondering how you do that.
2: Well, I mean, it, it was something that that was... uh you know, I, when I worked at at uh, our Greenberg Associates, the the problem was that uh, I feel like I didn't have any control over the the kinds of jobs that we took in, and and I was uh, kind of very interested in in trying to do something where we would would uh, find some kind of a, a more emotional expression for things uh, rather than kind of mechanical, because I I, I think the thing is that. Design is, of course, a language, and, and uh, you need to know the tools, the, the different building blocks of the language, uh, but then you have to figure out exactly what to do with it, and I was at that point, I, I believe, at that time.
1: Well, when we come back from our break, I want to talk a little bit more about the connection between musical ideas and visual ideas, and also about some projects that you've done i know we also have some callers on the line that we'll want to get to so i'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to design matters with debbie Millman on voice america business i am your host debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer jacob Trollback. we'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages so please don't go away
3: keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business
4: Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Carrie Murnian and John Mallott of design studio Honest. Carrie and John, tell us about coming from old school design.
5: We went to Parsons together here in New York, and we were the last class that they taught paste-ups to. And at the time, we kind of knew this is going to be obsolete you know, soon. But, yeah, it still, I think, informed us in terms of some of our design skill. I think that's something that we try to keep in all of our work is that there was a hand, like a real hand, involved rather than just completely this, you know, computer design thing or computer, I don't know, animated thing. And and that whole thing of a sketch first, you know, at least
4: get the idea going and then you can start the real creative process after that. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Carrie and John talk about inspiration.
6: This is when Marcellus for AIGA New York. You know, when you talk about jazz, most people think of the blues. But Matisse, Bearden, Lawrence, Stuart Davis, and other 20th century masters inspired by this music saw a whole range of colors. For me, jazz is a visual medium, and maybe nobody proves that better than Nicholas Proxler, who spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. Now you can hear it from the man himself, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's Acoustic Masada. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City, a benefit for the most noble city of New Orleans, Saturday, March 10th, at Jazz at Lincoln Center, in the House of Swing. Go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime event and see how Troxler saturates his work with the rhythmic energy of pulsating, swinging jazz music. Yes,
7: indeed. Hi, I'm Ron Jezlowski of Del Monte Foods Corporation, and I'm here to invite you to attend the Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design Conference this April in New York City. You might have heard of the Bad Boys of Design segment on Design Matters podcast, but now you can see it in person. The Fuse event is proud to announce their own version of the show, The Bad Boys of Brand Design, as the official kickoff to the 2007 event. Join me along with others from Colgate-Palmolive, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, and Georgia Pacific as we discuss how design can be aligned, leveraged, managed, and integrated to best position a brand in the marketplace. Plus, hear from the design leaders from OXO, Procter & Gamble, Martha Stewart Living, Omni Media, and more who will give you actionable ideas for fueling change and driving growth in your company. For more information, call 888 670 visit www.iirusa.com or you can email direct at register at iirusa.com if you mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee I hope to see you April 16th to the 18th at Piers 60 at Chelsea Piers in New York City
3: The Bottom Line in Business Talk Voice America Business
0: we're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Come back, live from
1: St. Louis and Boston. You are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business I am your host, Debbie Milman, and my guest today is designer Jacob Trollback. If you want to join our conversation, if you have a question for Jacob, our phone lines are open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And I believe we do have a caller on the line, Gregory from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Gregory, are you there? I guess you're not. Jacob, are you
2: still
1: there? Uh, I'm here. Okay, good. I had this horrible thinking feeling that I had lost you both yeah. and that somehow the weather was interfering in our broadcast. Well, um, we'll see if he comes back. In the meantime, I want to talk to you about work that you've done, some of the television work that you've done. And um, the first client I wanted to ask you about was HBO. Um, you won an Emmy for the work that you did for Historical Blindness, the titles of which and the poster of which is among the most beautiful of that year. Um, I understand that you were also up against yourself that year for that Emmy category for another piece that you did for uh, a show called Normal. So first of all, what was the experience like? What was the experience like about uh, being up for an Emmy? What was the experience like having two nominations in the same category? And then what was the experience like about of winning? I mean, there aren't too many designers that win Emmy awards, so like they can hear all about it, every detail
2: yeah uh i mean it, it was uh i i think that it was pretty clear that hysterical blindness uh had the better chance of the two uh so it's not like it was such a i i really didn't feel like oh we have two strong shots at 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 getting it 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 was kind of surreal uh, and uh you know we were at the award show and all of a sudden you realize that you're on the stage and uh, you're going to thank people uh, because, I mean, I, I, I guess being from Sweden, I, I knew about the Oscars and the Emmys. I was thinking, well, it's probably not such a big deal. Um, but uh, uh, the, the most interesting thing is that I, I went up on the stage and the first thing I said when uh, all the spotlights were on me was, wow which I've always wondered why people say wow every time they come up on the stage to get an award. And um, But it was pretty overwhelming. But um, that's the piece that uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, uh, and obviously, there was a really great team working on it. And uh, it was the second project we did with Mira Nair. And uh, um, Monsoon Wedding was the first job we did with her. And um, it was all, uh, I mean, it was all great. It's kind of a little bit surreal. But, you walk away there with a, with a chunk of metal. <laughs> Where do you have it uh, displayed in your office? Actually, um, I think it's rotating a little bit in the office. It's whoever kind of feels like they want to have an Emmy at their desk.
1: That's nice. Well, I believe that we do have our caller back now. Um, Gregory, are you there? I'm here. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> happy, happy Friday. Thank you for calling Design Matters.
8: Thank you. Hi, Jacob. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, As a segue into the question I'm going to ask you, um, I I saw recently that Walt Disney is going to um, not only have their first uh, black princess, but uh, this time it's going to be traditionally um, animated by hand. And I saw that um, you did the titles for um, Capote. And I'm curious to know, um, do you think that that, I, I thought it was very interesting that they're going to animate uh, a full-length feature by hand again, which I think is really amazing and wonderful. Um, how do you feel about titles? I'm, I'm not sure how titles are done today. Um, I watch a lot of very old uh, films, so I'm, I'm very uh, tuned into their titles. And, of course, those were done by hand. How do you feel about that?
2: You mean
7: that the, – well, I'm,
2: I'm, I mean – for me, since I wouldn't be a designer if it wasn't for computers, I'm of course, you know, very friendly with computers. And and uh, so uh, there is the interesting thing if you're looking at older titles is that there's obviously something that's very organic and, and tactile about them because you can really see that, that there's cut out letters that they were shooting, you right. know, on, on film. And uh, uh, a lot of stuff the great stuff was done that way, but it was also, of course, very limiting in terms of what you could do with it. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, you know. There's a lot of, of uh, students that are doing film, students that are doing fantastic uh, live action titles where they just shoot, you know, whatever uh, they, they uh, you know, letters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't really.
8: I mean, do you think it would help if if um, they had to learn how to do something by hand? Uh, it would help them doing it through the computer or have a better understanding or a better appreciation.
2: It's a really it's a really good question. I mean, I, when I started to do titles, we did them uh, you know on a traditional animation stand and and uh, created artwork, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I I think that I mean it was great to hear the optical printers going, but it's also something that you can romanticize a little bit because ultimately, I mean, I, I only care about the emotional content of, of what you ultimately, uh, you know, create. So in a way, it's... it's uh, I think the thing that's... The, the advantage of having a more traditional craft is that people have to spend a lot of time studying it and spend a lot of time understanding it and on a computer, anybody can just do something without necessarily understand all of the parameters uh, with it. So I, I think that that's the advantage of, of sort of more traditional uh, tools. But uh, it's not like you can do something with traditional tools that you can't do on a computer.
8: Did you enjoy doing the title?
2: Yeah, we do. It's, uh, you know, it's, a, very, it's a great creative challenge.
1: All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you for calling, Gregory. Um, Jacob, we have another caller on the line. We have Isabel. Isabel, thank you for calling Design Matters.
8: Sure. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Debbie.
1: Hello. So,
8: Jacob, I'm really curious about what you think the difference is between print design and TV design. And you mean TV designing
1: is... for print and, and TV,
3: Isabel? Correct.
8: Correct. Okay. Do you approach it differently? Do you think, do you, do you just think about who's going to be reading it or who's going to be watching it? Do you just, I don't know, what do you think are the major differences?
2: Well, I think that, that, uh, you know, when you start to introduce, uh, a time axis in, in any kind of communication, it's, it makes it both easier and harder. I, I mean, if you're looking at a printed image or a, a printed layout, uh, you really have to grab people with, with something that, that is inherently static. And, and, uh, it's very challenging to do that. And, but, and you have to figure out the way that people are going to read your poster or whatever it is and, and see that that works the way you want it. But it's, it's, you have kind of one shot at doing it. When it comes to any time-based media, uh, you know, live action or, or motion graphics, you really need to start to talk, think about where you want to, how, how you're grabbing people, how you put them in the right mode and how you make them understand what you want to say. So it, so it is uh, it is really about storytelling. And I think that that's what's interesting, that that um, not everybody understands that you don't have to necessarily be a good storyteller just because you're a, a good designer. And I, I think that that's why there's a lot of motion graphics that is very much about surfaces and... and um, and that's something that we, we're trying to avoid and succeed sometimes. But it's, it, is, it, it is hard.
8: Okay, thank you.
2: Thank you, and take care.
1: Thank you for calling, Isabel. Okay, bye. You know, it's interesting that you mention um, storytelling, uh, Jacob, because I read in an article um, in Howe magazine that you described your work as storytelling and mixing images together to create a life. And I, I thought that was just a really beautiful sentence. and I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit for us uh, about that how how you work as a storyteller and a mixer of images
2: to you know, create a life. yeah, it's uh, as I think I said, it's very much about finding you know thinking about which mood you want to to uh, convey and then you need to figure out I mean when we're working with TV commercials, we have 30 seconds to. To tell the whole story and, and to get people interested and, and to get people to care about it and then to get people to understand whatever the message is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's very. Um, I think that that's actually where where uh, it's been very helpful to me the fact that I was a DJ because then you need to understand your audience and you need to know what you know what they're ready for. And it's not like you're, you're playing what they want to hear just, but, but you have to understand that, okay, now it's time to put on a, a Brazilian tune, or now it's time to put on whatever it is. Uh, and you have to understand where, you know, what people are ready for. And, and when, you, when you're working with motion graphics, it's kind of the same thing. You have to understand uh, how people are going to react to your message.
1: When we come back from our break, I want to talk to you about that. I also would like to talk to you a little bit about some of your movie titles and how you come up with ideas to be able to visually articulate what the movie you're about to see is, is about to bring you. Um, but in the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Jacob Trollback. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. So Please don't go away.
3: Strengthening your financial goals. The leader in business talk radio. Voice America Business.
4: Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Carrie Murnian and John Malott of Design Studio Honest. Carrie, tell us about that moment when an idea comes to you. With any kind of project, there's all these outside things that come into like
5: your idea, how you think of an idea, who the client is, your state of mind, the business happening in your own studio, like when all that coalesces into an idea that you know works, that's when I think it's just like is an amazing feeling. I think that's definitely a thing that got us as far those nights when you're twelve years old. Than just copying comics and the whole night's gone and you've just been drawing comics all night. But you're always looking for that first fix you got when you, when you first did it. I think just that thing of now is like maybe sharing it with more people, it being more of a communal thing, I guess. When there's like 10 people working to create one
4: specific idea and it's all flowing, it's really an amazing thing. Yeah. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. For more information, visit adobe.com.
6: This is Went Marcellus for AIGA New York. Nicholas Troxler has spent a lifetime turning the passion and soul of jazz into some of the most compelling poster design ever. AIGA New York proudly presents Look, Listen, Nicholas Troxler in New York City, a benefit for the city of New Orleans, followed by a concert by Cecil Taylor, the new AHA 3, and John Zorn's Acoustic Masada. We know y'all are going to enjoy it. And please go to AIGANewYork.org to register and get all the details.
7: Hi, I'm Ron Joselowski of Del Monte Foods Corporation, and I'm here to invite you to attend the FUSE Brand Identity and Package Design Conference this April in New York City. You might have heard of the Bad Boys of Design segment on Design Matters podcast, but now you can see it in person. The Fuse event is proud to announce their own version of the show, The Bad Boys of Brand Design, as the official kickoff to the 2007 event. Join me along with others from Colgate-Palmolive, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, and Georgia Pacific as we discuss how design can be aligned, leveraged, managed, and integrated to best position your brand in the marketplace. Plus, hear from the design leaders from OXO, Procter & Gamble, Martha Stewart Living, Omni Media, and more who will give you actionable ideas for fueling change and driving growth in your company. For more information, call 888-670-8200, visit www.iirusa.com, or you can email direct at register at iirusa.com. If you mentioned that you heard about the event from Design Matters, you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. I hope to see you April 16th to the 18th at
3: Pier 60 at Chelsea Piers in New York City keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business.
0: We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is
1: 3:48 Eastern Time, 2:48 Central Time. And you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Jacob Trollback. So, Jacob, before the break we were talking a little bit about the emotional context of storytelling. And I read an article uh, on Design Thinkers where you state that Intelligent Communication asks us to partake in a dialogue and provides an opportunity for the individual to own a conclusion. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on what you meant by owning a conclusion, specifically to the design work and the film work that you do. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's... it's you know, there's a big difference between American advertising and European advertising. And I, and I think in general, uh, not across the board, but in general, uh, European advertising are not afraid to kind of do things that maybe is a little bit, you know, you leave something out. And, and I think it's interesting when you leave something out. For example, a, a good joke is a good joke because you actually leave something out. You know, kids try to explain the, the punchline, but the idea of the punchline is that two ideas or several ideas all of a sudden gets connected in your head, mm, and the actual yes. experience happens in your head. It's not something that someone is giving you, and uh, I really like the idea of trying to leave room for, for whoever is experienced what you're doing to, to experience uh, uh, the sensation of, of kind of getting it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's really great. And sometimes I feel like uh, it would be great if, especially advertisers in, in in America, would be would trust their audience a little bit more and not, you know, uh, sort of uh, give away the punchline, but but let them partake in the in the
1: communication. Well, it's so interesting. I was I was listening to Milton Glaser speak about why people like the I Love New York logo so much. And he was talking about how, because we've seen it all so much now, it's hard to remember, but one, when we first saw the logo, it was actually a little puzzle that we had to figure out. It wasn't actually that obvious. It just in, in, you know, initially, there was the word I, there was the heart, and then you had to make that, you know, you had to make the association to love, and then the abbreviation for New York. So it's actually a little a little puzzle that you were very quickly putting together in your mind and when you realize it, you actually feel very good about the fact that you've figured it out and then this has a sort of impact in your brain and impact in your heart. And uh, it's always, I, I find that extremely interesting in that we are attracted to the things that we have to figure out most intently and, and find that to be more enjoyable intellectually for
2: us. Yeah, I, I guess that's why, you know, different, Puzzles and crime stories, or whatever—who done it? That's all of those things. kind of invites us to think and speculate and, and use our creativity.
1: Yes. Now, you were recently nominated for a People's Choice Award last year at the Cooper Hewitt uh, National Museum for the National Design Awards. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, and what would tell us about? I know I know what the what you were nominated for. Would it be great if you could tell the listeners?
2: I don't, I don't know if I remember. It's oh. not very flippant, but, uh, almost what, what as we were talking about. For, for the People's Choice Award? Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about the
1: triennial then, because that's something that, um, that's something you're currently doing. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, have made it into the Cooper Hewitt triennial. You are, um, one of, uh, just really a handful of designers that have their work exhibited through July at the Cooper Hewitt. And, uh, so how did you feel when you found out that you were, uh, going to be part of this year's triennial?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a great feeling, and, and, uh, I, I, I want to just, Kind of point out that uh, you're saying you a lot, and it's it's uh, it's definitely something that goes to the company and the, the collective efforts of, of uh, everybody there. But I, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's an honor, of course, and it's a great show. And um, I think that it was fun also because uh, we were very happy about the work that we had done that was uh, included. Um, so. Uh, because we did this uh, this campaign for Court TV that was all over New York. I guess it was a year and a half ago or something. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, and we really liked that. It was sort of a, a way to introduce some of that what we were talking about before. Some of that those kinds of suggestions, and people can draw the, their own conclusions from them.
1: Now, in terms of, of conclusions, I'm really curious about uh, people that create film titles. He's done some really big movies. Uh, Capote, as, as uh, one of our uh, guests, one of the uh, listeners called in with a question about with mentioning Capote. Um, also, A Beautiful Mind. Also, Vanity Fair. Truly beautiful graphics. But how do you call a two-hour or three-hour movie and and be able to pick out what can introduce a movie in the way that you do in such a poignant and and immediate manner how do you come up with those kinds of ideas that can give you a sense of an abbreviation of this movie
2: how do you do that well there's there there are many different categories of titles and some some titles you just want to I mean, if I, I think that one of the more interesting ones was, uh, um, in that sense, was the titles we did for *Monsoon Wedding* because I saw that movie uh, before it had it had been scored, so there was no music and the dialogue was, you know, pretty rough. And I looked at it, I saw the movie, and I I said said to Mira that that's a fantastic movie, but it's pretty it's pretty intense. And she said, "Oh no, this is going to be a feel-good movie. This is a, this is a great movie. There's some, some some serious issues in it, but but I want the I want the titles to be happy and joyous because there's a wedding that's going to happen. And I think that without those titles, uh, people might not have understand understood that this is an opportunity to just really feel great about the experience that you're about to have."
1: Right I mean that's what I, I think when when I saw the titles for a beautiful mind, it sort of set the stage where I just was so excited about what was about to come forth just from seeing the titles that it made me you know that much more engaged in in what I was hoping was going to be a truly phenomenal experience
2: yeah that's uh <laughs> that's that's what you strive for yeah and uh, and but then sometimes you just want to i mean some you work very closely with the directors and they they are sort of giving their point of view of where they feel like the movie should go and what they need help with and and, you know when it comes to Capote it's interesting because it's the most minimal titles that we've ever done I think and Mm -hmm. you know when we saw the first screening uh, at at Bennett's uh, loft then uh, we looked at it and uh, uh, me and my partner Joe Wright we said that well doesn't really need any titles and, and we told him that, that, you know, we can't do anything that's that's good, it, it's a beautiful movie and he was like, oh, yeah, maybe that's true, but you know, the, the stuff that we're doing, the type we're doing, the, the position and all of that stuff, that, let's make that perfect then and, and, you know, it was really great to work with it, but it's really, really minimal when you really think about it.
1: Well, I think what's really, really wonderful about the work that you do, particularly in, in the film work. You know, the, the style that I would describe you having is that it's perfect for the medium. And in as much as I might not be able to say, well, you know, looking at, at, at uh, Capote, Vanity Fair, for example, Months in Wedding and Beautiful Mind that I might not know right at the at the instant that it was all done by Jacob Trollback, I could certainly say that the common denominator of all four of those film opens is that they're perfect for the film for the film. And I think that is really what um, makes you so so good at what you do. Um, I've been waiting the entire show to ask you this question. We have about a minute or so left, and so I have to ask you before we go. What are you listening to these days? What is inspiring you the most musically?
2: Well, uh, there has never been a better time for music, I think. And, and there is basically every week I, I, I find something new. And uh, then you have little periods of that. There's, there's always kind of you know the classics. You were talking about Jeff Buckley and stuff like that. I, I've been listening a lot to M Ward lately. I'm listening to a lot of strange music uh, of uh, combining acoustic and electronic instruments. And and uh, uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. It's uh, that's it, so. It, it used to be a time where you could say I'm listening to this is my favorite band, but there's just tons of it and it's, I'm very happy about it.
1: If there was one one piece of music that you would recommend our listeners to uh, partake in, and enjoy today, what would it be? Just one thing.
2: I would say listen to M. Ward. Okay. He, he, he's fantastic.
1: Well, Jacob, thank you so much. We've come to, sadly, come to the end of today's broadcast. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I'd also like to give a very special thanks to our sponsor, Adobe, and my producers, Brian Travis and Ruben Gloom at Voice America, and Ryan, my lovely producer, Lisa Grant and Jen Five Minutes Sterling. Joining me next week on Design Matters is our very own national treasure, Myra Kelman. Thank you for listening, and please remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week.
0: Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters, right here on The Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business.